establish a personal connection with everyone in the room, and I want them to know that I really do love them. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, Andrew, part two of motivation and classroom management and how they go together. Okay. So, of course, just a quick recap of last week. You talked about the four forms of relevancy and the highest one being intrinsic relevancy, then inspired, contrived, with the lowest being enforced. enforced. Yes. And so if you listener have not heard that podcast, it might be helpful for you to go back, but hopefully you can tie in some examples of these sure. and how it would work in the classroom. And even as you were talking last week, I, I jotted down a few notes that I have with me today, just thinking about my own experience in teaching in the classroom, because I did teach in the classroom for a couple years. I actually started in middle school as a classroom teacher in middle school, which was really tough. Let me just say, <laughs> uh, get me out of here. And that was some years ago. It was many it's years probably ago. Probably worse now. Yeah, it, maybe. <laughs> I got demoted after my one semester stint in middle school to teaching uh, first and second grade. Uh, Not really a demotion, but you know, clearly a different level of, mm-hmm. of a, education. A lateral shift. It was a lateral shift, but those kids were still in that age where they just thought everything was amazing and that Mrs. Walker was so smart (laughs) and so pretty and I couldn't do anything wrong. And the other really wonderful thing about teaching that grade level is those kids are so ready to learn Mm -hmm. that anything I did, the parents just thought I was amazing. Mm. Wow, my kids are now learning to read. And it's like, yeah, that's because they were ready. You know, whatever (laughs) we did before, they weren't quite ready, but now they are. And so I loved teaching first and second grade, loved those primary grades. But I do remember using a lot of contrived activities sure. in the classroom. One one of them had to do with well, I, I can't really go into all the details because it's a little fuzzy. Because well, as you say, your undergraduate degree is recreation. Yes. So you're you're a game person. Definitely did lots of games. So I'm sure you just fell right into let's play games with this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And but what I found in doing contrived relevancy type games was some of my kids were able to complete the task more easily than others. Whether it be um, intelligent, natural talent, or whether it just be they were able to sit in the chair and control themselves. Yeah, Yeah, and stay focused. And so, you know, these are some of the things that classroom teachers really have to finagle. You know, you've got a a wide range of aptitudes and abilities, both academically and 
you know, emotionally and physiologically. But yet, Andrew, I have seen you work work the crowd, so to speak, of kids. They come into your classroom and, you know, some of them are kind of kicking and screaming. They didn't want to be there because he's going. they're going to some writing class by some teacher that they don't know. But, but And others are just in awe because it's Mr. Poudois who's going to teach them. But then you've got the, the class clowns and the rascally kids. And, and yet I've seen you basically able to control this classroom in a way that, quite frankly, I'm in awe. So are, do you use these four forms of relevancy? What, what, else, what are you doing there that helps you to control the situation where you're actually getting something out of the kids? Well, you mentioned that your younger students, they just loved you. And you know, I've talked about this in many different talks, probably, you know, the talk, however imperfectly, lessons learned from 30 years of teaching, the last point really is it's about love. But you don't just say to kids, especially if they're middle school kids, <laughs> I really love you a lot. Yeah. You, know, you, know, you, you, you have to figure out completely different ways of doing that. Right. But for me, you know, that's one of the first things things that I want to do is establish a personal connection with everyone in the room. Mm -hmm. And I want them to know at least a little bit that I really do love them. Now, how do we do that? One is to be interested in them. And so, you know, with whatever small amounts of border time are available, I will try to engage in a conversation and ask them about themselves Mm -hmm. or share something that might evoke a response. You know, a lot of kids are just quiet. They, they won't answer questions unless it's a yes or no. And so you have to work a little harder with some. But even the simplest things as just giving them a really good smile, mm-hmm. just eye to eye, face to face. And even if you can't do that with every single person in the room all the time, mm-hmm. the ones who see that happening also experience the fact that you care, you know, uh, you care. So to me, that's that's foundational. It is very, very hard to build a momentum of disciplined work, uh, of rigor, of attentiveness without the heart of the student. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. part of that is just because they're kids and that's the way they are. But I think another thing we face uh, in classrooms and, and with all kids, but it is the the fractured attention span Yes, that every single person walking around in this country, any single person in the entire basically civilized world right now is suffering under the constant onslaught of electronic interruption. Mm-hmm. And this starts at a very young age. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is have a phone in a room with little kids and they will immediately stop whatever they're doing and come over and see what's on your phone. And so they're very, they're fractured. And then, you know, when they get to the point where they get their own screen, Mm -hmm. it's even worse. And I've noticed this. Mm -hmm. In fact, I I don't really do New Year's resolutions because Mm -hmm. I hate failing. Um, (laughs) But I, I noticed... I have a very hard time carving out just sustained reading. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll read for like 10 minutes and then I'm think, 
I'm just distracted. There's something I need to think about. Is there a text? Is there an email? What's on my calendar? Will I miss the Facebook posts? What about the memes that I like to get jokes for? You know, my mind is just drawn to that electronic world. Mm -hmm. And I'm old. (laughs) I didn't even grow up that way. Mm -hmm. And it still affected me. So I did make a New Year's resolution. Every single day, whether I think I have time or not, I'm going to read a book with tw- for 20 minutes without a single distraction. Oh, nice. And it's, I'll tell you, it's hard. 40 years ago, it wouldn't have been hard. Right. It would have been just normal. Right. So I think about these kids and I think about their, you know, their attention spans, for the most part, are a fraction of what kids had mm-hmm. half a century or for sure a century ago. Uh, so how do we how do we overcome that? And part of it is getting back to those forms of relevancy, mm-hmm. and part of it is is reaching their soul, mm-hmm. get beyond their their m- mind and their mental distraction, mm-hmm. and capture their heart. Mm-hmm. But it's hard, hard to do. Teaching is a hard job. You know, I have from time to time joked that. The only people who teach in schools must be saints or idiots because if you weren't a saint, you'd go find an easier way to live. Mm -hmm. It it is very hard and increasingly hard year Mm -hmm. after year. So my respect for teachers that stay in, you know, a a Mm five-day-a-week, nine-months-a-year classroom, I know and you know that is not an easy life choice. Right. If to do it well, to mm-hmm. do it right. But then there's, you know, there's mechanical aspects mm-hmm. to managing groups of kids. Mm-hmm. I kind of tuned into this, and then I think it was you that gave me some statistic, true or not, I don't know, but if you told me, I would assume it <laughs> came from a reliable source. But in a group of people of any size, what was it, four people will do 80% of the talking or something like that? Yes, this was a, a seminar that I attended I think when I was still working for Biola University, and this was an active learning seminar. Mm. Your students that are more actively engaged in a classroom are going to get more out of it. And one of the things that the instructor was telling us was how to get them more engaged. And he said, without these strategies or being intentional about this, on average, four students will actively participate no matter how big the group is, yep. whether there's 10, whether there's 100. So if you had thousand. four, it'd be a great deal. It'd but be, teachers don't have that luxury at all. Well, but the way you do a group of four, and actually it would be even better to do a group of two or three. So breaking them up into table partners right. in groups of two or three. If you're a group of four, you're actually two groups of two split yeah. up. It's which always, which it, we have done a lot of. I even yeah. do that you know, with adults in the yep. TWSS. Yep. The other way to deal with that is to gradually shift over from asking for volunteers to talk to just calling on specific kids. Right. A good friend of mine, you said, you know, on my deathbed, if I gave advice, uh, one bit of advice, it would be this, ask specific questions of specific students. Hmm. And it seems a little harsh, like, oh, no, what if you call on someone who is not able or ready to answer a question, Mm -hmm. they'll feel bad. They'll Mm -hmm. be embarrassed. The trick there is just make everybody feel bad and embarrassed a little bit, and then pretty soon nobody feels that way so much anymore. (laughs) But there is that, I mean, if you're in a group 
and you know that the teacher or the leader, whatever, could call on you at any moment to participate, your engagement level is going to be much higher than if that person is just asking for volunteers and you can sit there and say, well, I'm not going to raise my hand. Right. Well, and that was one of the strategies for this active learning seminar is to never call on the first person that raises their hand. Yeah. That way you're kind of training the kids just to be I, more I watched um, a nun who was teaching in a Catholic school mm-hmm. and she was asking the question of the kids and she would just wait a horrifically long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you're in a conversation, 60 seconds is a long period of silence. Mm-hmm. She had no problem with twice that. Mm-hmm. She, she wow. would just sit there and not say anything for two minutes. And I was in awe. And gradually the hands would go up and yeah. more and more and more hands would go up. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a point. I think, you know... Mrs. Ingham really understood the need for children to have a representation of progress. In fact, when we think about this, um, I know you're a checklist person, and we've talked, you know— I learned from the best. —somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but also based on science, Mm -hmm. that when you have a checklist and you check something off, it it feels good. Mm -hmm. It You know, the the original, you know, day planner people who— tried to create these time management checklist mm-hmm. systems before everybody's life was inside a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have those books. Remember those books mm-hmm. with things? And they, they went and had research to show that when you put a check mark next to a, a thing, it causes this little release of endorphins. You get your little you know, serotonin release or whatever, and you feel good, which mm-hmm. is why there is the temptation to write something down that you weren't planning to do, but you did it because you had to. So you write it down. Not because you need to remember it, so you can check it off. Mm -hmm, Exactly. But, you know, I've noticed this too. Um, I've gone through different phases in my life where I've wanted to try and get consistent and Mm -hmm. improve on things. I'm Mm -hmm. in that phase right Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. in a particular area. And so, you know, I, I have these records of what I did, you know, a month ago, what I did a week ago, what I did yesterday, and then I fill in today. And just that sense of progress, it, it helps me keep going on the day that I say, oh, I really wish I wasn't going to have to do right. this stuff, you know. <laughs> so whether it's music or whether it's learning a foreign language or whether it's exercise, I mean, anything that requires effort to improve, mm-hmm. some type of external, you know, acknowledgement of progress is so helpful inside. And Mrs. Ingham had this. Yes, she did. She understood it perfectly. And uh, she she was the master of having a lot of kids in a room and having them all engaged, mm-hmm. fully engaged. Mm-hmm. But the way she did it was more like the one-room schoolhouse that she grew up in. Because in a one-room schoolhouse, you might have 40 kids, but they're all spread across te- 10 different grade levels. Mm-hmm. So out of necessity, every student has to be working independently mm-hmm. on their own, at their own speed, mm-hmm. in things where that's appropriate. Webster, Dr. Webster, who originally gave me the structure and style stuff from which all of our work derived, mm-hmm. you know, he said his first job was teaching in a one-room schoolhouse. He didn't even have a college degree. He was like a warm body they desperately needed right at the end of World War II. Right. And he said it was pretty much one of the easier teaching jobs 
because he walked in, but everybody knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Everyone had a path. They knew exactly you know, what mm-hmm. was the next thing, whether it was geography or spelling or math or whatever they were teaching. And you know, when you look back, he had no electricity. The only source of heat, and this is in Saskatchewan, right. was a, a, a wood stove in the middle of the room, and the kids had to bring the wood to heat the place. Wow. In the mornings when it was still too dark for anyone to do anything, he would just stand by the window and read out loud to them all, hmm. you know, by moonlight. But he wow. said it was very easy to manage because everybody knew what they were supposed to do. The previous teachers, and I'm sure there were waves of them, had just got everyone acclimated. Mm-hmm. And so there was that, I'm responsible for my own progress in this subject right now. Mrs. Ingham recreated that. Of course, she was teaching first grade. And so she had a, a system where everybody could start with you know, basic activities, get familiar with your tool sounds and your letter sounds. Mm-hmm. And then once they had done that, they could move on to the discovery words. Once they had done that, they would move on to library. And, mm-hmm. and then they would have a little pathway that go up the wall. They mm-hmm. would climb a, a stairway with their little, uh, what would you call it now, avatar. Yep. You know, yep. the little person that represented them. And there was no problem with kids being at different places on this pathway. Because that was kind of the mentality, which is you are who you are, and that's great, and here's the next thing. We've lost so much of the capacity for that by creating uh, curriculums and environments where everybody has to be doing the same thing in the same way according to the same schedule. Right. Uh, So uh, to the degree you can move back and create more of that, we're a community of learners, but we can all be doing different things. Right. Then you can have an hour or two, and if a student has a question or a problem, okay, they come to the teacher, and mm-hmm. the teacher can help them with that, and then they go back and work independently. And and then, uh, funny thing about Webster, he did two years in the one-room one schoolhouse, and then they basically said, well, you know, you're not qualified to be a teacher. Right. You have to have a, you know, certification credential. So he had to go back and get a two-year credential to teach. And then he taught grade five in a Vancouver school. Mm-hmm. He said, worst teaching job ever. Mm. They were all the same age. If one kid had a problem, they all had a problem. And nobody knew how to work independently. Mm. So the only way he could manage that group was to try and create the one-room schoolhouse approach inside that environment, first and foremost, by taking a few of the top kids and saying, okay, if you have a problem, you go to this kid first. Mm-hmm. You know, if he can't help you, you go to her. And if she can't help you, then and only then do you come to me mm-hmm. and and create a system. But that's awfully hard when everyone's the same rank. Exactly. And uh, so, you know, I've talked in the past about the potential benefits of mixed age classrooms. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have an article on that. We can link to that in the show yeah. notes. And, you know, there are some things that are so appropriate for everyone to be working at their own speed. Mm-hmm. Math. Do you remember being bored in school because you already got the work done? Oh, yes. And you couldn't do something else? You couldn't go to the next chapter or the next thing because you weren't supposed to? So I had a unique situation. I was in a fifth, sixth grade 
split classroom. Oh, interesting. And they put, as a fifth grader, they put me into a sixth grade math book. My dad was so very proud of me. I think uh-huh. he's really disappointed that I didn't turn out to be an engineer like uh. him. But yes, I do remember that and wanting to work ahead, but not really allowed yeah. to. Yeah. So why not? It Well, because it disrupts the idea of let's all do the same thing at sure. the same schedule today. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you look at like a, a math tutoring situation, mm-hmm. I have personal experience taking some children to the Kumon Center. Right where everybody in the room is working at a different spot. And that's a perfect way to do math because it's cumulative and you practice more, you go faster, you need more practice. But then there's other subjects that are better done, I think, in a group discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Literature, Mm -hmm. for example. You know, I would hate the thought of giving a single child a book and say, here, read this, now write about it. Can we have some conversation? Can we share some ideas? Can yes. we open our imaginations? That's where the synergy of community is going to be so powerful. So a classroom teacher today has the difficult task of balancing how do we keep everyone kind of engaged and working at their own level in certain things like math or spelling where mm-hmm. that's perfectly appropriate? And then how do we bring everyone together and get them all engaged in a group discussion about something in, say, literature, history, or current events that's broadly applicable and not grade level specific. Right. Well, and even as you mentioned that, you uh, notably omitted writing. (laughs) And I think that that certainly is something, and I know you would agree with this, that you can do one lesson for one grade level, but yet those kids have all different aptitudes. Because at the end of the day, what they produce will be at their age – will be at their right. their grade level. And yep. it's easy in our system, of course, to adjust it to make it a little bit easier where we make the chess checklist a little bit easier right. or more challenging for those kids that want to do sixth grade math but are not allowed to. Yeah. And, you know, part of, uh, you know, the whole system we teach to teachers mm-hmm. is – not everybody has to do the same exact assignment. Right. So here's a source text. Here, let's make an outline, or you know how to make an outline. Go ahead and do it. But we can vary the checklist mm-hmm. so that it's at an appropriate level of challenge. We love the term easy plus one. Exactly. Meaning yep. you only introduce a new style technique when what you've learned so far has become easy. But that's hard. What if you've got three or four or more different kind of levels within one group. Sure. It, it's a challenge, but then, as I said at the beginning, no one signed up to be a teacher because they wanted easy money, easy life, <laughs> right? Um, but then, then when you see the results, exactly. uh, likewise, is it true that every child has to use the same source text? Once you've demonstrated and done something together, well, then, now what if you had options? Uh, Mrs. Ingham and, and Dr. Webster used to always talk about having files right. of additional source text so that, oh, okay, we've learned that. Uh, we spent a couple weeks doing the same thing together. Now you've got the hang of it. Go choose one of your own right. interests. And now now you can have horses and scorpions and, right. you know, Genghis Khan and Clara Barton. Right. And you can have all sorts of stuff that would be perhaps interesting to different students. So we have a couple different products that kind of do what you're describing. Our theme-based writing lessons, a lot of them have what we call advanced editions. And so these are 
more challenging checklist or simplified source, source text. So yeah. to make it a little bit easier for those students who are younger or may have special needs, just so that they can be doing the same lesson right. together. And, and our classroom materials. Yes, our classroom supplements. Also have. The file box source text that you're describing. Exactly. So you teach them all together. You start them together in the same source text for that for a to, new to unit. model the new unit to model the new unit, but it might be that as the students as you continue through that unit, you can filter off some of those more advanced students and let them go choose a different source text that you have out mm-hmm. for them that have these yeah. Things. And I would even go so far as to say, there's no reason that you should think every student needs to do the same number of assignments. Sure. Why wouldn't it be okay if someone who finished one to go and do another one. Now, you you might think, well, if they don't do the same number of assignments, it won't be fair, mm-hmm. and we won't be able to grade them in comparing them with each other, Right. which is, you know, another topic for another day. Indeed. <laughs> but that, Webster even took Mrs. Ingham's staircase for the number of books you've read, mm-hmm. and he created kind of a space thing, because he yep. thought that would be fun. Robots in and space. And so yeah. mm-hmm. you, you write a certain number of compositions, you go to the first planet, after you've written a some, certain number of compositions, you go to the next one, and you get yourself all the way out to Pluto, or back to the sun, I can't remember which way it started. <laughs> and that's when Pluto was still, still a planet. universally considered a yeah. planet. Now it's debatable. But what do kids like? They like to see the progress. Mm-hmm. I like to look at my little spreadsheet and mm-hmm. see the numbers and the string of days I did something every yeah. day that I was trying. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. Kids may need something a little more imaginative. Right. Badges on an app, Andrew. Badges. Yeah. I have an Apple Watch uh-huh. and my Apple Watch gives me badges and boy, I sure get hundreds of dollars. No, I just love getting those yes. badges. Well, so I we're don't. Motivated by I that. don't do that. But I, I, you know, we all have those little things. Right. So the the problem is this this older system that works so well. Yeah. For Mrs. Ingham and Dr. Webster and the thousands and thousands of teachers that they taught over the years, it's not egalitarian and it doesn't kind of fit with our modern concept. Right that everyone should have the same everything. And that, I think, is the hardest challenge for teachers today, is how do you negotiate the individual needs, aptitudes, you know, interests with the idea that everybody has to be doing pretty much the same thing in order to make progress? And there's no easy answer. I want to end, because we're almost out of time, but I want to end with a strategy that you use a strategy that I've seen you use in the classroom that basically acknowledges good behavior and ignores bad behavior. Can you can you just speak oh. to that? Well, I first noticed this a very, very, very long time ago in a kinder music teacher training course. Hmm. Um, Lorna Haiga, the founder of kinder music, truly a master teacher if ever I met one. She was doing a demonstration class. And it was this little kid. He's kind of acting up. And my opinion was he's a discipline problem. Mm-hmm. Get him out of the class. He's disrupting things. Yeah. But she didn't do that. She basically kind of ignored him and uh, conducted the class. And then she switched things around to do something that would bring him in. Mm-hmm. But she didn't give him any energy in terms of get over here, stop doing that, please be quiet, sit down. She didn't give any of that type of thing that we might – 
naturally think to do、mm-hmm. when managing a group of a dozen four-year-olds.、Mm-hmm. And and so that I oh that stuck with me a long time because my concept of what I would have done very different than how she handled it in、yeah. a far superior way. Yeah. But you know, as you go through time, you you do kind of realize that. Well, Plato said it: that which is honored is cultivated.、Mm-hmm. So, what do you want? If what you want is engaged students, then acknowledge that and ignore the unengaged ones.、Mm-hmm. Pretty soon, they'll get tired of being ignored, and they'll want to be part of that、mm-hmm. community. When you're reading a student paper and you see something you really like, well, read it again. And point out, I really like that. Whatever.、Mm-hmm. I mean, even if it's that was a great word you used,、mm-hmm. you know, or maybe they do an advanced technique, or maybe they get a, they accidentally do a technique that you haven't taught yet. Oh, you discovered the number four sentence opener.、Mm-hmm. We haven't even learned that.、Mm-hmm. Very advanced, wonderful, and just drop little comments like that. Everyone wants that,、mm-hmm. right? Everyone wants to be honored. Yep. And that isn't a bad thing at all. It's one of our. Fundamental desires is to receive glory,、mm-hmm. and that reflects our soul. And what we really want to hear is "Well done,、yep. good and faithful." And so, children are just like that.、Uh, whereas, if we harp, if we acknowledge, if we nag, what happens is they're getting your energy, they're getting your attention.、Mm-hmm. The problem comes is what do you do with a kid who is not yet wanting to? Have you appreciate his efforts and still distracting、mm-hmm. the people around him, and that's a tough one. Sometimes, you know that I'm sorry, you got to sit in a corner is probably the best thing for everybody involved. Yep, but it's of course not a very nice thing、right. to do. Well, you are a master at. Exactly what you're just distra- you just described. I, I you... disagree because I don't have to do it day after day well, after day the way real teachers do. This is sort of true. You did have to do it week after week after week with our、mm, admittedly carefully selected students who were a part of your structure and style for students classrooms. Yeah, but you just to honor those who were. Doing what you wanted them to do, and pretty much ignore those who were not,、um, was just a sight to behold. And I well, I appreciate that, and and I always have room for improvement. But I will say, I've studied a lot about teaching stuff, right?、Mm-hmm. But the most important things I have learned have been learned in observing、mm-hmm. other teachers、yep. who are really good. And although you can hear about it, read about it, try it, get the whole theory of something, when you actually see a teacher doing something successfully, repeatedly,、right. that's the best learning that can happen. And I wish that I wish that our whole teacher education system would put a lot more emphasis on observation of master teachers. Right. Because you know, very often kids get into an education program in a university, and they have almost no interaction with students until their you know third or fourth year in this degree program,、mm-hmm. and then they're being observed. They're doing student teaching, and that's where the emphasis right, is. Right, and they're under the scrutiny. Whereas,、mm-hmm. what if they could just you know take a couple hours,、yeah. you know, even once a week,、yep. and just go watch a master in the classroom. From their first year in school,、yep. and call that part of the whole 
training program. It's not easy to organize. Fortunately, we have videos, and I know that we intentionally created the SSS program to double. This is for people who want to show it to kids. This is also for people who want to improve their own teaching by observing classes being taught. Right. And let me just say to any of our listeners out there who are teachers, here's your call to action. Do look at the Structure and Style for Students materials in our schools division. They're actually called the Structure and Style for the Classroom materials. Okay. And the whole idea is just like what Andrew described. You can either watch the videos yourself and then observe a master teacher and then teach the lesson or maybe occasionally show Andrew teaching yeah. your and, kids and in class. Other than just the, the structure and style writing pedagogy, there are a lot of intangibles yep. buried yep. in those lessons. And we even have little interviews that are connected and will be available for teachers. Yep, exactly. And, uh, you asked me some hard questions sometimes. I did. Yep, I did. Well, thank you, Andrew. I think this has been very helpful for our listeners. I know I learned some some new things about you today and appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>